Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. This podcast is sponsored by Small Farm University, the go-to resource for gardeners, homesteaders, and farmers around the world. Small Farm University delivers classes online and on demand with training on how to grow crops and how to grow a profitable farm business that serves you, your family, and your community well. Delivered by real farmers with hands-on experience and expertise, it's unique in its approach, using the RIPED method for growing and building a farm or farm business. SFU membership includes access to a private Facebook group and monthly live Q&A sessions where you can get your questions answered and find the support you need. To learn more, visit growingfarmers.com today. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today my guest is Evan Marks, who is the founder and executive director of the Ecology Center in Southern California. From studying agroecology to working in indigenous and traditional agriculture systems around the world, Evan has dedicated his life to finding creative solutions for the most urgent problems facing our food system. He now runs a 28-acre regenerative organic farm on a historic agricultural property in the middle of Orange County, California. The Ecology Center is not only a farm, but an education center that is for people to plant seeds, tend gardens, and share a meal in celebration. Evan, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Michael. So share a little bit about uh, how did you end up in the middle of Orange County, California, at the 28-acre regenerative organic farm? Got really lucky. I think this land, this land is extraordinary, and it's got a, an incredible history. It's 140 years old of agriculture, but it's a Hachiman land, and there's been people convening here for a very long time. But it took me many trips around the world, if you will, in about 10 years from leaving to coming back to find the land. So I could tell that story a little bit. I grew up in Orange County as a surfer. So my, you know, my relationship to the, to kind of the, the more wilderness of the earth was, was always through the ocean. And at some point as a teenager, started picking up trash on the beach and got more concerned about the environment and kind of started charting my path on that road of, of if I don't do something, who will? As I kind of gardened with my mom as a kid. And then at some point I learned that agriculture was the number one impact and poison on our on our oceans, let alone our planets. And as a good young hippie, you know, back to the lander, it was it made sense to learn how to grow food. And so at about 18, I started working on an organic farm and then took the next step and got a degree in agroecology at UC Santa Cruz. I took that, put that to work. I farmed for a year at an amazing homestead called Camp Joy. Mm -hmm. uh, I've heard of them. Yeah. Yeah one of the, the heart and souls of the movement and, and then ended up in Latin America for seven years and kind of cut my teeth working, learning by doing, putting these ideas of ecological design and permaculture and agriculture together at large scale, broad acre, thousand acre projects, um, eco villages, interesting hospitality projects of designing mm -hmm. really ecological boutique hotels, you name it. And at some point I left Latin America and ended up in West Africa with the USAID. And it was kind of like a, another light bulb went off, which was, this was amazing. I could spend the rest of my life in Africa, as many people that step into that journey do. But my community needed, was kind of calling me back. And I never thought I'd come back to Orange County as it's, you know, it's got a stereotype for mm -hmm. consumers and cul-de-sacs. And, but at that point in my life, I was 28, I believe that was but 2008. So I just, 
kind of was ready for the next big leap and I came back to Orange County and I found this property and and it's been a wild amazing journey Mm -hmm. so how did you find this property because I'm assuming a project of that size property of that size is not cheap yeah, well, the good news is we, the city bought the property in 1990 to protect mm. it from development. So really, it is the last farm protected kind of cultural community-based land holding in Orange County of a county of three and a half million people. So mm-hmm. it's a really sad statistic. You know, at the time in 2008, there was an organic farmer kind of growing some conventional conventional organic, one or two ingredients, wholesale market, strawberries and cucumbers, a Uh couple other things. But I I met him and he opened up a door to communication with the city. The city was the the landowner. The front of the farm, which he didn't utilize, which was a one acre dirt lot, if you will, in a historic 140-year-old farmhouse. And so that was the beginning of the conversation with the city that that I'm, you know, I'm from this place. I've traveled around the world. I'm ready to to explore, can we build an ecological context and a center, mm-hmm. an education center for coming together to explore the, the, the challenges, solutions to the challenges that lay in front of us? And, and they ultimately said, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but, but you look like you got a, enough, enough motivation to make this happen. And so that was, that was the, the, the early origin. And a lot has changed and come from that since then. So then as your time there, did you end up managing more and more of the land? Or are you still on that more of the one acre? So what scale are you at? Yeah, yeah. For 10 years, we were one acre. So we built this incredible ecological oasis, really a, a demonstration of what it means when we design in relationship to, to nature, uh, to our resources and build a community hub around it. And so yeah, for 10 years, it was, it was this ecological hub. It was, we taught workshops, permaculture design courses. We had a general store. So everything you needed to grow, you can get started. We had field trips there, farm dinners with chefs and farmers and various other kind of community galvanizing moments. And that was, so that was one acre for 10 years. And four years ago, I took over the 28 acre adjacent land the farmer moved off of his wholesale business kind of ran out of road in this kind of climate environment so the city you know ultimately handed it over to me with a little persuasion around what what the vision would be and we've stepped very clearly into the vision of it being a community hub around food and agriculture I'm really kind of at, at the summary of it we do two things we're trying to put the culture back in the agriculture mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. caring for the planet and the people and then we put the the agriculture back into the culture you know because we more or less have gotten rid of the farmland around here so it's so then okay so you the the city owns the land you kind of rent lease is that kind of the arrangement or yeah we have a 40-year agreement on the land which is pretty amazing yes that is very cool yeah very cool all right. So then at the beginning, as you were kind of getting established there, I'm assuming you had a lot of ideas. What was kind of like the driving force and where was the original vision? You know, the driving vision was, you know, me, I'm, I consider myself really an ecological designer, first and foremost, mm-hmm. uh, kind of farmer secondary, which is that, you know, designing really incredible environments is is something I love doing. It's kind of my canvas. And so we took this dirt lot and we turned it into an oasis that kind of modeled the idea that we can grow all of our basic needs. So, okay. you know, there, it's almost like this forest ecosystem that we created with both native and edible plants. 
and then we demonstrate all the all the ecological systems from not just not just food production at the tree scale, but in the in the kind of a kitchen garden compost operations. We just demoed all sorts of cool ideas. You know, it was really an off-grid kind of concept in the middle of an urban environment. Design is, is and architecture is kind of one of our sharp tools. And so it's it's really accessible to people that don't come from the same pathways that we do. So it was beautiful. We often shared something very delicious. We work with a lot of great chefs that were embodying these, these ecological values. And so we kind of brought this this community along and we continue to as our as our core mission to build the culture, which is, you know, the, the people in our backyard don't necessarily don't come from the same place we come from. And so it's it's a fun journey. Yeah, you've got a little bit of everything there. You're doing even animal production. I see you've got pens on site, you got flowers, strawberries. Yeah. And, no, yeah. I mean, now at the 28 acre scale, it's very much like this is the farm for the future, which is, you know, it was so we feed thousands of families every day. It all goes out the front door. So direct to community, 100%. Mm-hmm. Whatever there's extra, we put it into our culinary department, which I think is a very unique addition to an enterprise like this. So if we're making jam every day, pickles, ferments, you name mm-hmm. it. We grow an amazing diversity. There's probably about 100 different ingredients every day that come off the farm. Wow. So big flower program, herbs, vegetables and fruit. So it's kind of a very dynamic polyculture. Let's talk a little bit about when you moved onto the property. What was the soil like? You know, this is sort of alluvial floodplain. So, you know, we've got kind of these hills on both sides. We're right in this gorgeous valley, about a mile and a half from a famous surf spot called Doheny. Mm-hmm. So this is this is very sacred land. This is while the rivers have been paved over and you know cemented, it still is like the you can still feel the energy on the land, you know, in a kind of unpaved zone like this farm. So the soil, while it's been hard worked for 140 years, it's this thick clay loam that has so much nutrient in it, so much fertility. It's just about learning how to dance with it. It's learning about how to speak the language of the land. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're getting better and better at it, like when and how to, you know, what, what ingredients obviously work really great in the soil and then ultimately how to prep the beds and how to, how to grow great food. You know, it's like all of that, all that work that we do as farmers, it's like learning that language of the land and this land, it's, it's, there's a lot of benefit from that kind of thick clay loam mm-hmm. uh, and it's, yeah, yeah, we're, we're having fun with it. So then I'm assuming as you kind of worked on it, did you have to do a lot of remediation to the soil or a lot of building? Yeah, yes and no. I think that's, I always think of that as a journey, not a destination. You know, yeah, we mm-hmm. cover crop the first year. We pivoted the whole farm. So the whole farm was very rectilinear. It's like, think about it. It's like one big 28 acre square. And the previous farmer had like three big fields. It was all based off of his irrigation, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what I did is I basically turned the whole farm and pivoted it all based off of the sun. Mm. And I oriented everything back to the south. And so it's kind of fun. If you look from an aerial view of our farm, there's a there's a walkway. There's a made central artery right through the whole center of the farm. It's at an angle that goes right from the farm stand front door all the way to the middle of the farm. And that's really our southern access. And then we pivoted, we oriented all of our trees in in parallel sequence to that major south access. And so all of our trees are facing north south. So basically every 60 foot, it's it's a it's a tree row. So it's an agroforestry, it's an alley cropping system. And in between that 60 foot field, which really turns into a half acre field, is mixed 
vegetables and flowers, right? Mm -hmm. And so we've got about 20 small fields that are shielded by these perennials that are obviously part of the ecology and the economy. And so that was kind of the big piece of it. And so it's, it's, it's you know, as a farm that is certified regenerative organic and proud of it, it's, we've learned, you know, and I've been in this work for about 25 years. And so it's fun to find the, the tension between the ecology and the economy and the equity. You know, it's like we could build, we could go further into the ecological values and constantly be cover cropping, constantly be building our own fertility through animals and various other methodologies. Or we can find the, the place where the ball's moving, we're adding value and adding nutrient while also sustaining the business. And so that's kind of mm -hmm. the, the mindset we're at. We cover crop once a year per field. Mostly in the winter months when we have rain, free irrigation. We obviously had a great winter in, in California, Southern California this year. Half of our farm was cover crop and it was, you know, six foot tall and amazing. So, you know, it's again, it's just every year just trying to dance with it and to figure out how do we become better stewards and what does the land need in order to, to sustain and, and feed us. So talk a little bit about like, is all the sales of the product on farm? You don't do any like off farm markets or anything? You know, very little, you know, out of okay. 20 acres, it all goes out the front door, you know, which is pretty rad. You know, we do, like I said, we have some value added product mm -hmm. where it's probably 10% of our product that on the fruit side goes into jams. You know, it's probably same for, you know, 15% on the tomatoes and peppers. And then we grow a lot of traditional crops here for the land, like flower corn for tortillas, uh, heirloom beans, and we're opening a cafe actually next month so that those ingredients find another home. So it's a pretty dynamic array. It's not just a market garden of which we yeah. have as a demonstration. We train up farmers through kind of our three acre market garden on all those kind of relevant methodologies, but we have field scale and then we kind of grow this traditional, traditional crops as well, the dry, the dry field crops. So that all fits into our menu and really the bioregional cuisine that we're presenting. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So with all this going on, how do you manage everything? So talk about your team and the kind of that structure. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of like a complex ecosystem. It's a village. You know, we have a, you know, the farm in the day-to-day -day is, is run by my friend, Johnny Wilson. And we went to college okay. together. And so Johnny has a team with about 12 farmers in the, in the, on the team. There's a flower kind of operation. that's its own team. There's a really a field operation. There's a market garden operation. So there's, okay kind of nested systems, you know, Mario has been on the land here for so long and he's really like our tractor operator. And, you know, so we, we have an irrigator, we have some good specialization then we have just generalists and that's really on the farm side. You know, we have an education department with teachers and children here every day. We have a culinary department with processing ingredients and making value out of products to prepping and ready for a cafe that'll serve the community with our ingredients every day. You know, so it's, it's kind of a beast. There's a marketing department where creatives and designers, there's a retail department because it's, you know, we have this farm stand, the farm stand cranks. I mean, we'll, you'll see three to 500 people on an average day. Wow. Um, okay. So it's like everyone comes to us. It's sort of like, we're like the stone barns, if you will, of the West, yes. of like Southern yeah. California. It's like at that, yeah. that level of presentation where people, you know, we'll have, you know, we'll see a hundred thousand visitors this year. Wow. So it's nice that the marbles roll to us. So we get the luxury of keeping our ingredients on the farm and let people take them off. Mm -hmm. And then I'm seeing here a music fest. Do you guys do any kind of festivals and that sort of thing? Yeah. I mean, the community relationship is really the driver here. You know, we're trying to put the agriculture back in the community. And so it's like, get the sensibility and the awareness of where food comes from and how food is really 
the cultural foundation it always has been, always wants to be. And so we're kind of keeping that that going. And so there's ways that we bring people into the orbit of, of the work. And some of it's through fun things like music festivals. You know, every Friday night we do a farm dinner with a new guest chef. So that's like another way of indoctrinating the culinary community. Yep. Yep. Uh, you know, we're, we have children's programming here almost every single day. We have strawberry you pick season happening right now. We do various seasonal festivals celebrating makers, celebrating artists, different things. So it's just kind of, you know, really trying to have fun with it and use the farm as a, as a vessel for engagement. A little part of this, the recipe for success on us is, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. So, you know, the more people come, the more they keep coming. And so they, they take home in the, our ingredients with them and they hope to start to bring the values into the day-to-day as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So obviously you're in a county that's got a lot of regulation in your farm. Have you struggled at all with that balance or because the city is kind of your landlord, you're, it's pretty much you can get away with a lot or just make it a lot easier? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, regulation, you know, the only regulation we really end up dealing with is when is construction projects. Okay. But from an ag standpoint, we're, you know, we're, we're well supported and from the city and various others, but no, we haven't had any issues there. And right now we're just finishing up a pretty long construction project on this cafe that I've mentioned. So that's yeah. the hoops that we're jumping through now. But other than that, it's nowhere here to serve and, and people let us do that. Mm-hmm. Talk to us through the regenerative organic that you are certified. Talk to us a little bit about that certification. Yeah. You know, and I would just like to say that we're proud to be involved in that kind of regenerative organic community. You know, I there's probably always the debate with farmers of, is it worth getting certified or not? You know, and I called mm-hmm. my mentor, Steve Gleesman. He was the founder and coined the term agroecology and built the study around that. Um, and I said, Steve, what do you think? Do we need to get certified? He's like, well, you know, certification only is relevant when you don't have a relationship to your community. Mm. And so at some level it's like, well, the ecology center doesn't need to be certified, but on another level, I actually think it's important for us as an education center and a place that is really like, the, the place that people look for leadership in, in this subject matter that, you know, we take the high road, which is that when we certify our farm, it keeps us honest, which it actually helps us continually raise the bar. And I'll talk a little mm-hmm. bit more about that in a second, but it allows us to start educating the consumer and the community, which is that this word regenerative, I'm sure you hear it a lot. And I'm sure a lot of people throw it around pretty loosely. It's become mm-hmm. kind of the next sustainability term yes. and so that's where the certification i think adds a little bit of value which is not it's not subjective it's no longer like oh yeah like i'm i'm a great farmer i'm a definitely a regenerative operation and i don't know if everyone knows exactly what that means because it's it's subjective on some level but from a certification standpoint i can just clearly communicate about those those three kind of pillars which is from an animal standpoint, animal welfare, which is if, if that's what you do, it's obviously there's very specific criteria there to get that certification in the animal husbandry realm. You know, for us, it's mostly about soil stewardship and soil health. So we measure the health of our soil year in and year out. And so it's sort of like a goalpost to constantly strive to seek that our rotations and our and our basically the processes of cover cropping and various other methodologies are adding organic matter year after year rather than taking away so that's Mm -hmm. kind of a fun quite small detail that's not present normally in in the farmer that doesn't do the certification or that maybe 
is not soil testing on the seasonal, which I hope that most people, I assume most people are. But yeah. The piece that has been most, I think, powerful for us because you know we've been so committed to this ecological movement for so long, but it's really was the the care for the for our farm worker, you know, and in a community like Orange County, the living wage is really high, you know, so mm -hmm. part of the standard is actually paying our workers a living wage. And so that's really where it becomes a big journey, which is, yes, we want to pay all of our workers a living wage, and we're on a really good path, and most of our workers all do make a living wage. Living wage, just for context in Orange County, depending on their dependents, is like 22 to $24. And so wow. most of our farmers are near that or above that, and we're really proud of that, mm -hmm. right? And so, so our farm team is diverse. It's a polyculture. There's folks like me that are first generation farmers and there are folks that are from Mexico that are that are not first generation farmers that are just that come from a long lineage of farmers and it's basically 50-50. And so we're really proud that that the regardless of origin you know people are making good money here and we now need to figure out how to make that business model work so that they can continue to sustain and grow their their vision for their life. Yeah. That's a little bit in a nutshell what some of the certification has meant to us and yeah. utilize it. So with that, the farm, you have a tremendous amount of moving parts. Do you, is that something where you truly try to dive into like exactly what part of the operation is where the income's coming from? I mean, like, is it the events that make the money or is everything that you do on the farm, do you make sure that they're all in, as individual enterprises making a profit? A little bit of both, you know, some of okay. the, yeah. So like we have, individuals that kind of lead these individual enterprises, if you will. And so some of the enterprises, we're a nonprofit. So some of them are subsidized by philanthropy, like our educational endeavor. Mm, yeah. You know, we're able to bring in some funding from donors and grants to be able to cover scholarships for kids, et cetera. You know, and so, but, but by and large, yeah, the goal is that each each little enterprise, each department is, is building self-sufficiency. And so, yeah, this is kind of, this is our fourth year on the farm. And you know, the pandemic was a big evolution for us. You know, mm -hmm. we went from zero to 60. I don't know how your community and how your farm operated, but for us, it was like, like all of a sudden, a small group of people knew about us and were buying our vegetables to thousands. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had a CSA of a thousand members and that was kind of intense. So now we dropped it down to 200. So that's, it's just like, you know, yeah. we're all, every season we're kind of recalibrating and trying to figure it out. Absolutely. So talk us through, like, you've got a great team, you have different departments. What is your role on the farm? Like, where do you spend your days? Yeah, I mean, I, where's my, in relationship to the agriculture or in relationship to the organization? In relationship more to the organization. Yeah, I mean, in relationship to the organization, I kind of think of myself as a pollinator, you know, I bring vision and mm -hmm. kind of strategy to the execution where sometimes our individuals that are leading enterprises get stuck in the weeds I get to help bring them to around the corner you know so I'm on the you know even back to the agriculture like I'm on the farm pretty much in some capacity most of the day you know mm -hmm. and while I don't necessarily kind of operate the team and manage all the equipment I kind of help steer and guide you know what are we going to grow what are our goals and targets for what we're, you know, recalibrating what worked last season, what worked this season. So I, I kind of at the vision level, I'm at the crop planning level, really understand, mm -hmm. like, hey guys, like these are the, these are the targets. These are, this is what we're going for. 
uh, you know, into, into varietal selection of, of ingredients that we're going to, into methodology, all of that, I collaborate with the team, you know, but I'm simultaneously kind of pollinating. I spent a lot of my time outside of the agriculture, also in the kind of in the creative, you know, design, communication, the culinary department, building these new enterprises, like the cafe has kind of been a big lift of like building the team, getting mm-hmm. all dialed to what that wants to be, you know, designing up the menu with, with our, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So it's, I feel very fortunate that I kind of get to put my gifts to work rather than get put to work in the areas that aren't my gifts. I feel mm-hmm. like I've got such good people around me that are so good at so many things that allows me to, to, to kind of stick in my, my zone. Now with a nonprofit, I'm assuming you have a board then. Yeah, correct. And what's your, what's been your strategy or process behind, you know, guiding them? Cause I mean, as a director, that's kind of like your goal is to kind of guide them forward or are they guiding you? How does that, how does that synergy work? You know, because I'm a founder and, you know, I'm the executive mm-hmm. director, it's really the more of the the former, you know, I set the strategy and kind of bring them along and, you know, many of our, our board are kind of like trusted soundboard, you know, does that sound right? Give me some feedback, you know, that at that level of strategy of, of kind of collaboration and then simultaneously, you know, many of our board are successful business people are philanthropists. And so they're helping drive opportunities for the organization to be successful. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So it's, it's been a, I got a great group of people around me and I feel very, very honored to be in such a good company. Mm. Talk a little bit about going from the one acre to, you know, scaling up that four years ago, kind of what, what was the kind of the, the build up to that? And then kind of, how did you, I mean, obviously how many years notice did you have that that was going to probably happen? You know, we were working on it for a couple of years, you know, as a, you know, can imagine, you know, 20 mm-hmm. acres in the middle of an urban environment. It sounds like you have a similar context, you know, where you're, and do you own your farm? We do own our farm. Well, the bank yeah. and us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so, you know, you know how hard it is to to make deals, especially of like these very mm-hmm. special, you know, landmark properties. And so, the good news is that you know, day in and day out for ten years, we proved ourselves as not only a, you know, an organization that does what they say they're going to do, but but raise continually raising the bar and and is a great steward of the land and the community. And so. At that, you know, with that track record, it was fairly easy to have the conversations with the decision makers, you know, I had to play politics. And I did that basically on and off for a couple of years with the council members of the city, as well as Mm -hmm. executives, city manager, et cetera, and kind of shared them this vision that what this property could be, it doesn't need to be an extractive agricultural enterprise. This actually could be a community center and Mm -hmm. the beginning of a transformation for the county. And you know, and they really liked it. They loved it. They basically gave me an exclusive negotiating agreement. That was the first step. So I was, there was no competition. It wasn't like going out to bid. What are we going to do on this property? All the developers wanted to come in and build up something yeah. out of context. So, you know, I earned that and then just worked on the deal with those guys over, over a year or so. So we had a little bit of runway. It was, it was definitely a, a significant lift of getting all the pieces in place, but yeah. And then kind of that was, they gave us five years and said, okay, let's see what you guys can do and execute on the vision. And, and then they, you know, literally three months ago, we got that 40 year deal on the property just to kind of show a little bit of mm. how the city trusts us and what kind of work that we're doing here to get that kind of investment in their pristine property. Feels good. Now you're next to a school and a community center. Correct. Oh, so wow. The original farm, Michael, those, this was a 60 acre farm. 
bought in 1990. And so the city basically took half of it for them, which was the school mm -hmm. community center sports park. They left half the farm. And so we're, we're on that piece. Mm -hmm. Well, it's half is better than nothing. So half is better yeah. than nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm looking at this though, and it looks like, is that like a gravel parking lot that where most people park? Yeah, that's our, that's a, a walnut orchard actually, young walnut okay. orchard. This was the first, first settler of the land, first white settler, excuse me. His name was Joel Cogden. He, he brought redwood from Northern California that was transported by boat and English walnuts planted a probably a hundred acre walnut operation right at the time the train was coming in. So he was a pretty successful business guy. Yeah. So we kind of planted walnuts in homage to, to the origins of this region. Mm -hmm. And then I'm noticing on your West edge, there's a bit of a compost operation as well. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then I'm looking, I'm assuming the original market garden is right there in the center. Is that where the original was or where was the original acre that you had? Yeah. Are you on Google map? Yes. Yeah. So the, the original, you can see the oasis. It's, it's all the trees around the farmhouse. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, and so the market garden is the center of the farm. It's kind of like a bird, if you will. There's a body and wings. Very cool. Yeah. I love it. And then the greenhouses, you got several different hoop structures. One of them I think is where you do your kind of dinners. No, the dinners, you can't really tell, but to the right or the east of those tunnels, those are greenhouses. Okay. Uh, there's a white structure that it's a double decker bus. There's a couple of solar panels on it. Oh yes. And then there's all these dining tables. So that's, that's our dining room and okay. cook everything over fire in front of the bus there. And so the best chefs in Southern California volunteer their time every Friday and come out and it's, it's a tasting of the farm. It's really special. Yeah. That must be incredible. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. This incredible. is probably last spring. You can see the, the maze right there at the front of the farm. That was a part of our strawberry festival. We have a skate ramp here, the half pipe, but yeah, this, the first acre you can see here with the yurt in the middle, that's uh, that's our farm school. Oh, very cool. So yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. This podcast is sponsored by Small Farm University, the go-to resource for gardeners, homesteaders, and farmers around the world. Small Farm University delivers classes online and on demand with training on how to grow crops and how to grow a profitable farm business that serves you, your family, and your community well. Applying what you learn in SFU could save you thousands of hours and thousands of dollars. And it can save you the agony of costly mistakes some make just because they don't know what they don't know. Delivered by real farmers with hands-on experience and expertise, it is unique in its approach, using the ripened method for growing and building a farm or farm business. Here are a few highlights of what SFU has to offer in its growing library of resources. Find your perfect farm property. Whether you're renting or purchasing, this course guides you through vetting the farm property and determining how or if it suits your business needs. We give you the secret sauce for what makes a profitable farm property and help save you thousands of dollars. Start your farm intensive. Fleshing out your farm idea, craft your one-page business plan, and discover the right funding options for your business. Use our business templates, worksheets, and calculators to figure out the numbers as you go. Farmer's Market Success System. Learn how to attract and convert customers by building an unstoppable marketing and business system for your farmer's markets. Production Mastery Series. Learn all about growing, harvesting, and drying greens. Learn about tunnel building and take special classes such as brand new and very popular Elderberry Masterclass. We include real-life examples and calculators for figuring out fertility rates, how much money you are actually making, and where your profit is coming from. 
business systems, and marketing courses. Learn about the SFU Ripen formula for success, develop your marketing plan, and join in for behind-the-scenes tours of real farm businesses. Learn the systems you need to run your business well and how to hire a team to help you. And learn how you can add value to what you produce to generate even more income with minimal additional time and expense. In addition, members of SFU get access to the Growing Farmer Summits on demand with over 100 sessions of targeted areas of interest to farmers. These annual online events have attracted over 100,000 people from around the world, and they are included in your SFU membership as a bonus. SFU membership includes access to a private member group, monthly group Q&A sessions, and even one-on-one coaching sessions where you can get your questions answered and find the support you need. To learn more, visit growingfarmers.com today. So then with the educational, you do you do a lot of kids, and is that for specific grades? How does that program work? Yeah, it's kind of like a homeschool extension. It's really kind of the core of it. It's like four to 14 okay. uh, day to day. And then you know, after school programs, it's kind of like in a similar category. It's probably like more like six to 16. So there's kids after school every day. And then we have field trips. Okay. Yeah. We try to bring in the most amount of our community to participate. Yeah. And then how do you price those? I mean, you know, you said that there was actually a fair amount of that was done through donations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's all on the website, but you know, we, I don't know, how do we price it? We try to, you know, price it such that it, it works for everyone. Gotcha. Okay. So you try to keep it super affordable and yeah, attainable for folks. The goal is just to get people to the farm and educate them. Yeah. Yeah. That's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, what would you say, you know, advice for like a beginning farmer who's thinking of getting started? Maybe they have ideas of a project like this. What kind of advice would you give to them? You know, I think there's some basic steps to go through and I know I did, you know, which is, uh, you know, it's good to get find mentorship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I always recommend an apprenticeship. We do apprentices on the farm. We have three this year. We paid apprentices. So we really kind of treat them as employees and try, but simultaneously try to give them all the training that they need. And so that's kind mm-hmm. of like always the first step in my opinion. I know it was for me. You know, I, I was growing my own, I was growing my own food in, in a kind of garden setting. I was working on farms, but then to kind of to take that next big step, it's really investing a year or more on a specific farm with someone that you want to learn from. I think doing that over and over again, and, you know, everyone's different. You know, I, I was unique because I, you know, as an entrepreneur, I, I feel comfortable taking risk. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I jumped off into Latin America, you know, I was taking on project work of my own. I was finding clients to design farms. And ultimately I was managing a very large farm operation of, you know, a hundred, a thousand acres with, you know, 25 individuals and, you know, mm-hmm. that was fun for me. So I just, I was ready to learn that way. But, you know, for someone that's ready to just kind of take on their own project, obviously it's like kind of one step at a time. You know, I don't know what your recommendations would be, but, you know, for us, it was like that first acre was a meaningful first step, mm. uh, which is kind of get the systems dialed, you know, no, no details too small. You know, one of the things that's unique about our farm is that we care so much about the presentation and the aesthetic, you know, mm-hmm. because we were trying to indoctrinate a person that, that, you know, that doesn't come from our tendencies of like, oh yeah, farming is this and that. And it's like, no, these people are first time on a farm. And so we want to make it memorable for them. And so we, I, I don't know, just kind of from a hospitality standpoint, really focus on the details and, and the quality. And I think from a, from a, you know, ideally that's always a good way to start. You know, it's harder sometimes for 
a small farm operation just because there's so many tasks to do. But, you know, I guess in general, from a business standpoint, no matter where you're at in your journey, finding elevation is pretty critical. And what I mean by that is like, it's so easy to get stuck in the weeds. You know, as a young farmer, you're like, oh my God, I got to do everything. I've got to prep the beds. I've got to plant the beds. I've got to set up the irrigation. I got to harvest. I got a market going on. I got to figure out how to do my Instagram. I got to sell this stuff to the chef. And all of a sudden you're like, you're lost. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And you end up working, you're working 14 hours a day and you're like, I'm, I don't think it's working. Right. And you can't see that. So it's however often, you know, the seasons always do that well, which is like, okay, I need to stop. I need to reevaluate. I need to recalibrate. I need to set some vision. I need to set some targets to hit. I need to focus on the vital few versus the compelling many. What am I going to be really good at? What's working? How do I take stock of like, what am I passionate about? What is my superpower? And how am I going to make that work for my business and my community? Like, those mm -hmm. are always the things, you know, so it's what, you know, whatever state of mind you need to get into to get into that evaluation stage of like, I need to like, I need to break some of the patterns that aren't serving me in the farm. And that's, that's probably the hardest one for young people to think about. Cause they're just, they're, they're being, you know, they're just, they're being moved, you know, meaning like the farm is eating them alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So go back to that breaking those, uh, what would you say are some of those bad things that can, you can, you can have going on. That's going to, that's going to not help you be successful. Well, I mean, in general terms, you know, you could be working your ass off and it can still, you know, and like think it's working and it's not working at all, mm. right? You could be swimming so hard upstream and you're like, how do I swim downstream? You know, and so let me try to think of, you know, we did that a little bit with our CSA, maybe an example. I'm not sure if this is relevant for a young farmer. We had a very mm -hmm. large CSA and it was really hard to generate, you know, what we're trying to hit, there was probably like, 10 to 14 different ingredients every week. Oh, wow. It's a lot of diversity uh -huh. and at a very large quantity. It was like this crazy puzzle, you know, when you're feeding a thousand families and you're like, at, the farm was just being, we were just trying to hold on, right? Uh -huh. And at some point I just had to say, stop, 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 stop. We're not winning here. Like if we don't change anything, nothing's going to change. So, but this isn't working. So I basically said, hey, well, what happens if we, and so at that point we had CSA, we were dropping boxes around the community and that was a relevant strategy for COVID. Uh, mm -hmm. And so we, you know, we had three or four different drop spots and a thousand subscribers. And I said, what happens if we get rid of our, you know, our deliveries and our drop spots and, and we really focus on like, we want to, we, we want to be, we have to look around the corner. What we are now is not what we want to be. What mm -hmm. we want to be mm -hmm. is a vertically integrated operation where the community comes to us. We don't want to be competing with other farmers and we don't want to be a wholesale business. We mm -hmm. want to support other farmers and we want to, we want to be a retail business. And so we had to make those hard decisions of like, well, we have to unsubscribe all these people and we need to lose business in order to get back on the right track. Mm. So I'm not sure if that's useful, but that was like an example of like having a time to just like stop the train be like, we actually need to get on a different track mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. find the time where it's like, okay, let's, let's learn how to build up from something over here. No, and I think that's actually, I mean, if any, for anybody, it's good. It's great for me because that's exactly kind of what we've been going through ourselves is here on the eight acres. I mean, 
I have the vision of, you know, what you're doing is, is kind of where I want to be. I mean, the dinners, the, all the things last year, we bought a bright yellow fire truck that we were going to turn into a mobile pizza oven with farm fresh ingredients. Yeah. It's sitting in my buddy's lot because we have not had a chance to touch it, but we had to, in last year, we actually almost bankrupt one portion of the business because we took on a, a very large customizable CSA, not customizable, but custom CSA for a grocery store. Right. And we lost tens of thousands of dollars on that for, sure. for some different reasons. But right. I, it's absolutely right is you have to figure out what your lane is. And I think one of the problems is too, is that when I was starting farming, this is now t- about in, in 18, 19 years now I've been farming, is that I was under the impression, and it, I don't know, it just kind of, that you need to grow everything that you were selling. It was kind of one of those things. It was the producer only farmer's market position, yeah. but- the further we've gone into it, it's like we need to be that community resource where, yes, we're going to grow a tremendous amount of products, but we also are going to support the local farm community yeah. and give I them think it's, what, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, so for example, like our farm stand, you may even look for you on Google, you can probably see some pictures of it. Yeah. We think of it as a food hub and where we, we grow almost all of the vegetables, seasonally the fruit, but like we partner with a dozen other great farmers you know, that we really look up to that we get to help them bring their products to a retail market and we pay them well. So my friend, Alex Weiser is like the king of potatoes. So we, we don't grow potatoes. So it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Right. And my mm-hmm. friend, Peter Shaner, he's like the master avocado citrus guy. And so it's like, perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's finding those relationships, especially if you're a community organization, you know, I, I also think learning to like, what are you really good at? Like th- those two farmers that I just mentioned are like, really well known in, in the Southern California food scene. And they focused <laughs> on five things, not 45 things. So yes. it's a different model. The other thing that I might suggest, Michael, is for over 10 years, we collaborated with chefs, like create synergies with partners. Where I and I and I say this that's probably the best thing that any farmer can do is figure out how to put food service on the farm. Mm. But you don't have to do it. You are you are a partner, but you don't have to be the operator, right? So it's how do you find? So the way that I first did it is, I called my friend Jim Denovan. He does the outstanding in the fields. I said this was in two thousand eight. I said, Jim, we want to do a big farm dinner. It's a fundraiser. We need to raise some money. What chefs do you know around here that that get it? And he's like, Well, call Rich Mead, right? Rich Mead is the guy that had done those dinners for him, and he's been shopping farmers markets exclusively for over twenty years. And so I called Rich. I said, Rich, I want to do a farm dinner. What do you think? He's like, that's absolutely, let's do it. You know? And so he came down to the farm and we just, we put this thing together and we went from Rich to Patty, to Paul, to all these, to Kathy, to all these. Now we have a network of 50 chefs that deeply Mm -hmm. cooperate with the organization. It's their give back. So I might invite Mm -hmm. you that they get to help your mission, which is, and chefs are so generous and so benevolent. They get the community values, which is, hey, I get to cook on a farm with their ingredients. You're yeah. giving me something. I can bring your idea of pizza to, to work, which I think is a home run. And we did, we've probably done 100,000 pizzas on the farm over the last three oh, years. Wow. Do it. I'm happy to talk offline with you about how to do it easily. You don't have to run it all. You can't run it all. You can find people to help you that that's their dharma. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. but it brings your energies to life. The synergies, one plus one equals three. And the food, 
and the creative ways of engaging in the farm, I think are just the, the reality. I think it's always been that way. Places like Camp Joy from 1971 have always brought community to the center of the farm. And I think mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the future of all of these farming enterprises is you can't, it's not just about optimizing the market garden to grow Salanova, you know, 10 times better than we did it last year. Like, sure, that's a piece of it. And there's, it's a polyculture. It's in, in order to make the economy work, it can't just be vegetables. If you live in proximity to people, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Mm. No, that was really good. That yeah. was really good. What would you say is your favorite tool on the farm? My favorite tool, I think is, you know, back to the, back to the, the figurative tool. The favorite tool is the food. You know, the favorite tool is the fire. The favorite <laughs> tool is cooking. You know, the favorite tool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're talking about farm implements, one of my favorite tools, I mean, I don't know. I don't, my favorite tool is the seed. You know, I guess I'm looking from a higher elevation. Like my favorite tool is, yeah. is the blue corn that we've been growing year after year for the last four years that we plant by hand. You know, it's not the, the fancy cedars that we do with some other stuff. I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm just not in the trenches in the same way to, to like, oh, the broad fork, you know, it's like, I think the tool yeah. is really the people, you know, the, the fire, the food, the, the, the things that bring yeah. energy. No, that's good. That's good. And it really depends on where you are in the farm ecosystem too. Because Absolutely. like, I'm sure if you're talking to your flower farmer, they may say, well, these specific snips are my favorite. hundred percent. Without them. Exactly. But where you are, you're now this at a different level. And so you're thinking about different things. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so it's appropriate technology that the, there's so many great tools, mm -hmm. uh, but to remember too, that we can get geeked out on the tools and sometimes it's really, the tool is this thing, you know, like yes. the strategy and the elevation of like, how do I go back to the mountain and when can I do that so that I can see, you know, is it financially working? Is it energetically working? Is it functionally working? Mm -hmm. you know, that's, you know, honestly, we were operating in the dark for so long until I brought in, I got a, a partner here, his name's Paul, and he's our finance guy. You know, now we can see everything as it is mm -hmm. versus just, you know, you know, I had the ability to have my gut check in relationship to the, the work I could drive without all of the financial reporting, like being perfect. But now it's like, boom, that's a real mm. helpful tool, you know? So I don't know what that looks like for a small farmer to be able to get the the economics kind of real time. But. Yeah. That's actually right where we are right now. We've had a bookkeeper and we're actually trying to go to that next level of someone that can actually start to, you know, run, you know, these more advanced reports of, okay, so where is the business making money? Cause we have all these different little enterprises, but it's like, yeah. you know, what actually works and what's totally. being sold. So yeah, that's, and you're right. I don't know what that solution is for that small farm, but I think it has to be there because I'm, a, I'm sure so many farms just don't realize where their money's going. It's true. It's easy to, and it's, you know, farming is, we like to say farming is like fashion, you know, it's probably a bad analogy, but, you know, meaning like it takes six months to move the train, you know, nine months mm -hmm. to move the train, depending on what we're talking about and where we're at in the rotation. It's not like, okay, cool. We're going to make it. Just, it's like, oh, we got to like pivot this thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, dropping the CSA. I mean, I'm sure that how long did that take to actually implement? I mean, we implemented the idea probably in a series of, of a, a couple months, but it took us a couple of seasons to get our feet back on the ground, you know, as we, yeah. you know, to re-pivot the, the, the plan and the orientation of the farm. And 
mm-hmm. you know, and it costs money. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Before we go, I want to be respectful of your time, but you on, a, on the about part of your website, which is the ecology center.org. Yes. Yeah. You talk about the four core principles. Share a little bit about that. You know, grow what you make. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. You know, because it is a pretty dynamic village, you know, we use these ideas where we're farmers, we're chefs, we're artists, we're teachers, right? So it's a holistic idea where the, you know, you probably have a better reference to it, but it's really like a a bit of a kind of a nod to the past where as a community, we all come together, the farming is the center, but there's cottage industry that brings value to all of our needs. So, you know, given that we're in a place, a geography of Orange County, where these values have by, you know, by and less been forgotten, you know, we're mm-hmm. really trying to bring it back that the, the farmers, the artists, the chefs, the makers, the teachers, these are, these are some of the core building blocks of culture. And so we try to integrate those, you know, in the every day at the Ecology Center. Gotcha. So we bring uh, like, so like all of those things, like there's, like a, it's like a potentially like a Amish village or you know Shaker village. It's like these things are happening. We're shaping surfboards on the farm. We're mm-hmm. making ceramics. We're cooking food like over fire every day. We're making jam. We're obviously growing food. We're teaching children. We're we're making art. We're screen printing posters. We're like it's 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 present such that we teach our children the, some of these values of working with our hands in relationship to the land. You know the technology isn't the savior you know, that our, that our collaboration is, you know, Mm -hmm. our relationship Mm -hmm. to to the land and one another is the solution. Gotcha. Well, Evan, thank you so much for your time today. Anything else you want to share before we go? You know, just, you know, I think we're all on a path. I love your, the name of your podcast, the thriving farmer. I mean, I think that's the, that's what we're shooting for, you know, specifically in our region, we're trying to create that vision for the next generation. You know, mm-hmm. we need to replicate this model many, many times over. And, you know, I think it's, the question is, yeah, learning how to, how to support one another, how, you know, that's the goal. We're all here in the same, on the same endeavor, different challenges, different contexts, but nonetheless, you know, like we're all here to, to lift the bar and kind of mentor the next generation. So yeah, we're honored to be doing what we're doing. Grateful to have the conversation with you, Michael, and I mm-hmm. uh, look forward to seeing where, where we could take this. Yeah. Well, I thank you again for coming on. It's been a fascinating and inspiring conversation. I want to say you are a few years ahead of us, more than a few years ahead of us, but exciting to see what's possible and just what you guys have done over the last while. So yeah, anything you need, keep, keep in touch, Michael. Appreciate what you're doing. All right. Thank you. Yeah, brother. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer Podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.